just going to be honest with you. Our passage for today is a little heavier. Um, it's we're looking at uh, Jesus's trial before his execution, um, and so it's it's not uh, a happy feel good kind of passage. And I found it very fitting that we came to this passage in Scripture when honestly, for me at least, the things that I've been seeing in the news and in the world over this past week have not been very happy or feel good. Um, I don't know how many of you have followed what happened this week in Texas, um, where there there was another school shooting, Um, a young man, apparently 18 years old, from what I read, got mad at his grandma because she called the cell phone company about his phone. So he shot her in the head and then went uh, down the street to an elementary school and went in shooting and killed 19 children and two teachers. And when we come in contact with this kind of stuff, we have to just say, like, where is the justice in it all? This is horrible stuff. It's unjust. It's just plain wrong. Like, it's just messed up stuff. And um, my social media feed has been full of people debating how to stop this kind of injustice from happening. And my goal today is not to go into those debates. But it is a time for us to mourn with those who mourn. As a parent, I can't help but put myself in the shoes of those parents of 19 children who all of a sudden, it's tuck-in time, and there's not a kid to tuck in. There's no more cuddles, there's no more hugs, there's no more them waking you up at way too early in the morning. They're gone. And it's sad. And if that injustice doesn't pull at your heart, then I don't know what will. And today's scripture, John paints the picture of Jesus' trial being that of one of extreme injustice. Extreme injustice. Because as we, as we read the account of his trial, there was nothing in this trial that was about finding justice. That's what, that's what trials and court cases are supposed to be about, about finding justice. There was nothing in Jesus' trial that was about finding justice. Nothing whatsoever is what John, the way John records it. And the, the, the thing that, the challenge for us is over time... When it comes to injustice, we can become callous. In fact, even with a school shooting, these have been going on for so long that you can just say, oh, well, another one happened. I'm going with my day now. We're going to move on, right? I mean, in fact, they've, they've been going on since I was in high school in the States. Um, and that was a long time ago. Uh, but I remember one time... Uh, one morning I woke up 
and I didn't really remember this, but my mom told me about it later, and uh, you can understand why when I tell you this story. Um, I woke up, and I told my mom, I said, hey, I had a dream last night. I was in a school shooting, and uh, she's like, what? I said, yeah, bye. I see you. going to school. Uh, <laughs> so kind of freaked her out a little bit. Um, thankfully, uh, my dreams have never been prophetic and have never come true. Um, and so that, that did not happen. Uh, but I say that to say that this has been something that's been on people's minds for a long time. It's been around and we can become callous to it. Well, the same is true and even more so when we're looking at the story of Jesus and his trial that's been around for 2000 years. And if you've been around Christianity, you've heard this over and over and over again about Jesus and the crucifixion and the trial that led up to it. And so it's easy for us to kind of become callous to it and just kind of like want to just skip to the good part, right? Like we, we just want to skip to the part where, yeah, he rose from the dead and he did that for us and it's because he loves us, right? Like, let's just get there. But I think we need to give scripture its due and give due to the, to the fact of what's recorded here. And how unjust this trial was. And I think that will help us to understand. When we understand the injustice of what Jesus went through, we can understand so much better the love and the mercy that he shows for us. The more we understand what he did for us and what he went through, the better we understand who he is and how he loves us. And so, let's jump in and start start reading um, John's account of Jesus on trial. We're in John 18, starting in verse 19. Um, so just before this, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken to Caiaphas' house, um, and that is who's questioning here, him here. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So sorry, he was at, at Annas's, he was going to Caiaphas's. Um, and so we see here what should be happening in a Jewish system in this time when someone was put on trial, when someone has been arrested, um, you are not expected to incriminate yourself. You were put on trial because there was already this group of witnesses who had brought a charge against you. And it was based on those charges that you were arrested. And then when you come to the trial, um, what's supposed to happen is those witnesses who are given the account against you come forward saying, here's what this person has done wrong. You have a chance to defend yourself. And then the just judge is supposed to sort through what the truth is and execute justice in the situation. What we have here is the opposite. We have Jesus who's been arrested and he's brought in and the high priest, what he, his goal is, is to try to get Jesus on the spot to incriminate himself with something that can justify what they want to do and what they want to do is put him to death. 
And so what you have here is more like a dirty cop situation where you, you haul the guy into the interrogation room and use all the tactics you can until you get something out of him that you can, you can put the thing on him. And it's more of the good old boy network than anything. And we see this, um, uh, Jenny uh, always is great to ask me questions after, after sermons and want to dig a little, little deeper on stuff. And two, well, I guess it's three weeks ago now, um, when we were covering Jesus' arrest, she's like, well, hey, um, if, uh, if Caiaphas was the high priest, why did they take him to Annas first? Well, Annas, um, according to Old Testament, the Old Testament, once you're the high priest, how long are you the high priest? Until death, right? But under the Roman system, the Romans didn't want any individual in, in Israel to have that amount of power to have this, this position for life. So the Romans came in and said, no, you can be high priest, but only for so long, and we're going to cut off your term, and then somebody else has to come in. Okay? Um, and so Annas was that high priest, and so many of the Jews still saw him as the high priest because he hadn't died. Um, and so even though the Romans had come in and said, okay, we're going to replace you, many of the Jews still looked to him as the ultimate high priest. And then what they, what they did to kind of end around um, the Roman system was after they said, you have to be replaced, and it's just like, okay, here's one of my sons. He's going to be it. Here's another one of my sons. Here's another one of my sons. And he apparently ran out of sons, and so Caiaphas was his son-in-law. Um, so he moved on to the son-in-law now. And so many still viewed Annas as the, the high priest, even though technically Caiaphas was the high priest. Okay, so if that confuses you about what's going on there, there you go. Is that, is that a good explanation, Jenny? All right. <laughs> did I say the same thing again? Or did I change it this time? Okay, good. Good, good one to answer the same way. But anyway, so with that, the picture that I get is you kind of have this good old boy network where Annas views Jesus as a threat to their system. He views Jesus as a threat to the power that they have and to what they're trying to do. And so he's trying to mitigate that threat. And so he's using his influence, he's using his comrades, his connections, and he's working together to say, I don't care what we got to pin on this guy, we're going to put something on him and we're going to kill him. And that's the way that he's operating. And the reality is, the, he, he tries to get Jesus to incriminate himself, and Jesus says, what does he say? You want to know what I've taught? You want to know what I've said? I said it all out in the open. Like, it's, it's on public record. You can ask anybody that was there. Like, why are you asking me to now come try to give you something? I said it all plainly and openly in front of everybody. He said, this, it's out in the open. What you're doing right now, this is shady and in the dark. What, I, what I'm doing, the way I've handled things, is all out in the open. And... We also know that with Jesus, he was sinless, is what scripture teaches us. And now that's, that's a big deal. Because, follow me on a little, little logic train here, okay? Why 
are our hearts burdened over injustice? Because we have a creator, God, who is just. And he has written on our hearts the themes of justice, the things of justice. He has put, in the, put that there for us. So that even if we are not a Christian, even if we are not a believer, even if, what, whoever we are, just because we're made in his image, he has ingrained in us something that says, that's wrong. That shouldn't be that way. He's put that there. And since he's the one who put that there, he's also the one who gets to define what justice is. He is the creator. He gets to set the definitions. And he sets the def definitions of right and wrong in his word. And he says, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is what's called sin. This is what's called good. And he put these things against each other. And he tells us in his word that the only just thing is that the punishment for sin, the wage for sin, what you earn, what you get for sin is death. He's made that very clear in scripture. And as mankind, what we've done is we've become very, very good at sinning. That's who we are. That's what we do. So what do we, what do we deserve? We deserve death. That is the just thing. That is the fair thing. That is the righteous thing. But what you have in Jesus is you have the only one who never sinned. And so as the only one who never sinned, he's the only one who did not deserve death. The only one. And yet, because of this monkey trial that just trumped up things that they're doing here and the injustice of what's going on right here, ultimately he is killed. And so I propose to you that Jesus' execution was the most unjust thing that ever happened in human history. The most unjust thing that ever happened in human history. You say, well, now wait a, wait a minute, Wayne, that's, that's a pretty high claim. Yeah, it is. I think it was more unjust than that shooter going into that school, as horrible as that is. So if in your heart, your heart doesn't cry out equally with Jesus being falsely accused and, and killed for nothing... If it doesn't cry out for that as much as it cries out for children who are slaughtered, it should at least be on the same level, if not more. But like I said, we can become callous to it. We can become numb to it. We can skip over it. Moving on in, in the scripture, we, we already covered the part about Peter um, last week, so we're going to skip over that. We're skip down to verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. All right. You see, you see, you see, you see these guys, okay? Here's what they're doing. They're trying to kill 
the Son of God. But yet, they want to make sure that they do not blemish their quote-unquote righteousness. You see, in their religion, in their law, they had, they had steeped all of these things even on top of what God's word says in the Old Testament so that they would just be extra careful to not break one of God's rules. Like God has all kinds of things in the Old Testament for them about becoming unclean. And if you touch this or if you touch that or whatever, you could become unclean. And so they're, they're so worried about being a, becoming unclean, they said, well, hey, here's the best way for us to keep... For, keep that from happening we just won't even go into a gentile's house right not in the old testament in their minds this is the rule and so they're like hey we want we're not going to come into your house we're too good for that we're going to keep ourselves holy and spiritual and clean while we try to execute the son of god that's where these guys are operating from and that is where empty man-made, legalistic religion leaves you. Missing out on Jesus to try to follow some rules and paint yourself as righteous. Another thing um, that... uh, Well, before I get that, I'll make this statement. Religion that maintains appearances of being just while carrying out injustice, is just plain evil. If you're about keeping the appearances up, protecting the network, protecting the the good old boy club at the expense of carrying out justice and doing what's right before God, that is just plain evil. Another thing that has filled my news feed this week um, is the results of a sexual abuse task force study um, on the history of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention in the States. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have heard anything about this or thinking about th- seen anything about this, um, but uh, yeah, this hit really close to home for me. Um, transparency and honesty. Our church is connected with this group of churches that's being studied. Um, We are a separate convention here in Canada. We are not the same. So the things that they're being accused of, like things that are coming up there, isn't isn't necessarily us, but we are, it's like our sister. It's like two sister organizations. Um, And so, um, and as I'm reading, I read the report this, this week, it's over 200 pages. Um, and yeah, my heart just broke. It's just sad, disgusting stuff um, where they've, they've uncovered um, some horrible things that have happened. And it names names in the report. And some of these names are people that I know. Um, I've, you know I've been in some of their houses. Uh, I know their, their families. And it breaks my heart. Um, and the things that are being uncovered is, um, yeah, we've, we've known that, uh, that church is kind of, churches can be a magnet for sexual predators. We've known that that's not anything new. Um, 
but what was uncovered in this report was as victims had come forward um, trying to let people on a larger scale know that, hey, this guy did this thing to me at this church, and now he left that church and just went to another church and where he can do the same thing to somebody else, and I'm trying to let you guys know so you can stop him. They were met with a good old boy network who stonewalled and did not do anything to help the victims. They filed it away in a file and just gave platitudes. It's quite frankly what it is, and it's disgusting. It's horrible. Um, There's one lady that uh, um, she came forward about uh, a seminary professor um, who had repeatedly abused her over years, um, and it was found credible. Everything checked out. He was let go from the seminary. All of that was handled properly. But then when she um, came forward to make it public, because he was going on to do other ministry elsewhere, and she's like, well, something needs to be online somewhere where if anybody wants to find out what happened, they can. And so she tried to come out publicly, and she was painted just as an adulteress instead of as the victim of abuse, uh, which led to ultimately her losing her job, her career, and everything else. And it's horrible. It's wrong. It's the only, only way to explain it. It's unjust. Much like what Jesus is facing here is unjust. And it breaks my heart. And I want to tell you, I'm so thankful as these things come up um, for Haley, uh, she's not here today because she's with her daughter, um, but one of the things, first things she did as she took over as our children's director here is um, she made sure that our policies around these things are in line with best practices and that they're being followed. Um, and I just want to tell you, if you are someone who wants to prey on children or vulnerable women, this is not the place for you leave like this is not the place there's 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 no room for that here okay and secondly to that even if if something does happen I want to speak to all of our leaders that are here if there ever is something that does happen and is an accusation no matter how credible we might think it is our approach is to take it straight to the authorities not to try to handle it ourselves not to be looking at covering anything up or anything like that, okay? Um, because the authorities are trained to deal with these things and they are trained to get to the bottom of the issue, okay? And one of the best things for churches, one of the best practices is background checks. And that's what we do on everybody here that works with our kids in any way. Um, Lyndon makes sure this happens with the youth as well. Um, and those only work if things are reported, if they're not reported, then that person can just go on somewhere else. That church can have the best policies. They can do the background check. Nothing shows up because it wasn't reported. And so don't be afraid to report. So, okay, I'll get off that soapbox for now. But I just see so many similarities with the injustices that Jesus is going through with these two major injustices that, I've, that have filled my mind over this last week. So, 
It goes on, verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. You just, you just read the haughtiness. Like just, well, our word should be good enough on its own, right? Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Here takes us back to what we've seen throughout John. This is the, the great advantage of, of systematically working through a book like we do. Because over and over again through the book of John, how did Jesus say that he was going to die? He was going to be lifted up. He said, I'm going to be lifted up. Now the Jews here are saying, we don't have the authority to kill him. How did the Jews kill people when they didn't like him? Stoned them, right? They've tried twice on Jesus already. That's what they do in, with Stephen in, uh, in the book of Acts. You know, it's more of this mob mentality. We're just going to pick up rocks and throw them at you. Whereas the Romans had this systematic way of executing someone that was completely demoralizing, dehumanizing, and made a statement to the whole community. Actually made a statement to the whole world. And that's exactly what Jesus was willingly submitting himself to. Because he said all along, this is what's going to happen. And here the Jews are saying, yeah, we're, we don't have the authority to kill him. They've already tried a couple of times, but we don't have the authority to kill him. You've got to do that. Why? Because Jesus was to be, to be killed in a way that made a statement. That made a statement to the whole world. And this was to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus was going to be raised up and executed on the cross. And this just reminds us of what we see over and over again, the fact that Jesus walked through the injustice of his execution for us. This was something he was willingly doing. He was walking through this for us. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, but I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And what we see here, John makes it clear in what he records here. That Jesus' execution was not about what he had done. Jesus' execution was all about who he is. Did you get that? Jesus being killed on the cross was not a punishment for something he had done, but it was all about who he is. 
And so we see with that that Jesus is saying that, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. And so as you look at the injustices in this world, be reminded his kingdom is not of this world. And in his kingdom, there is perfect justice. There is perfect righteousness. And his kingdom is to come. And I hope for your sake, you're in the group that gets to sing, I'll fly away. Because his justice is to come. His righteousness will be enacted on the earth. And so, are you ready for that? The way to be ready is through him because he came to show us the truth. Exactly what he said. He said, I'm here to bear witness to the truth. And should be an illegal trial that the truth is what matters most, right? You know that famous movie line, you can't handle the truth. It's supposed to be about the truth. But with Jesus, the man overseeing his ultimate execution, who gives the final order, what does he say? What is truth? That's where he's at right here. What is, what is truth? Now, we don't know how he said that or the inflection or the meaning behind it exactly, but I don't know if he's saying, man, all this is coming to me, and what does the truth have to do with any of it? He's seeing through the religious leaders, seeing through all those and saying, like, this really has nothing to do with the truth. Or whether he's lamenting and, and saying, Jesus is saying, hey, those who hear, who hear my voice know the truth. And by his statement, he's saying, I don't hear your voice. Either way, it's a, a sad, sad statement that he makes. And the really almost ironic thing in this whole scenario is that the, the only one in this whole story that we've covered today who has any hope in the situation is the man who's about to die on a cross. Pilate, he's hopeless. Guy that smacks Jesus, hopeless. Annas, Caiaphas, Caiaphas hopeless. There's no hope for them. The best they have is trying to hold on to the grasp of what little power they have here on this earth. But Jesus knows, I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to defeat sin and death. I'm going to take my life back up again. I'm going to rise three days later. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to sit down on my throne. He's going to come back again. To judge the living and the dead as the perfect and righteous judge who will execute justice on this earth. No victim will be left without justice when Jesus returns. The sad thing is, according to scripture, we all are guilty. And the only way to be found not guilty is by trusting him to be your savior to take what you have done and put it on the cross on the account that he's already paid where he took, his, took your place for you. And so I ask you today, have you done that? 
Have you called on the name of the Lord so that you can be saved? So that when he comes again and he carries out justice, you will not be judged based on your merit, but based on his. That's the only place where you can have hope. And that's the only place that I have hope. Because while I've talked today about the atrocities of others, I know myself and I know the wrong that I've done and I know the guilt that I have. And I know that that is only taken care of by Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you willingly submitted yourself to going through this trial of injustice. And it's, it's so ridiculous the, the reasons they gave for, for killing your, as John records, really lack thereof of anything. But you were killed because of who you are. And Lord, we praise you because of who you are. You are good, you're our creator, you're our Lord, you're our king. You are seated on the throne. There is none like you. And God, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray for all in the world today who are victims, who have experienced incredible injustices. I pray for these families who are mourning the loss of their children. Lord, I pray that you will be a strength and a comfort to them as only you can be. For those who have suffered injustices of abuse, Lord, I pray that you bring healing, that you bring peace to them in the ways that only you can do. For those who are guilty, I pray that you bring them to repentance and brokenness before you and before those who they have wronged. And Lord, we thank you that your offer of the gospel, that your offer of forgiveness is there for all of us, no matter how bad the things we have done are. And Lord, I just thank you for who you are and all you do for us. And I thank you that you willingly went to that cross for me. In Christ's name I pray, amen.